Welcome to the sixth episode of Sports Stars Magazine's newest podcast, Know and Go, an Ask the Expert show designed to be an information resource for high school athletes done in partnership with Golden State Orthopedic and Spine. My name is Chase Bryson, the managing editor of Sports Stars Magazine. Each episode, we will welcome a different professional for a conversation that we hope will help and inform the athletes, coaches, and families who listen. If you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed or a question you'd like answered, make sure to listen to the end of the show for various options how to make that happen. For this episode, we're welcoming back a prior guest and Dr. Simone Bader. He was part of our second episode that focused on ACL tears, and we'll be returning to that topic again today. But let's first reintroduce Dr. Bader. Dr. Bader is a Bay Area native who majored in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior before competing medical school at UC Davis and his orthopedic residency at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. He then completed a one-year fellowship in sports medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation, and while there, worked as a team physician for various high schools and Cleveland State University. He was also part of the medical team for Cleveland's three professional sports organizations as well. He's now an orthopedic surgeon for Golden State Orthopedic and Spine and a nationally recognized expert on the treatment of knee disorders and ACL reconstruction. So welcome back to the show, doctor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be back. So last time you joined us, we spent most of our show talking about your extensive time working with ACL tears how they occur, how athletes can attempt to prevent them, and what recovery is like. And if any of you listeners missed that one, be sure to check it out after this one concludes. But today we're going to, uh, we're going to narrow our focus just a bit and talk specifically about the rehab experience uh, for ACL injuries. And so I'm going to start with a little bit of a review for the folks who may have missed our first conversation. So let's start at the diagnosis. You have a high school athlete whose MRI results confirm expectations. He or she has a torn ACL. What's that first conversation like? What do you guys cover? First, uh, like you said, confirm the diagnosis, um, get a sense of uh, how they got injured, how severe the injury is, and then we start talking about uh, what we can do. Uh, we always talk about non-operative treatment options. It's not ideal for young people, but it is something we talk about, um, and then start uh, planning for the type of graft that we're going to use to reconstruct if we're going to have surgery, whether it's their kneecap, their hamstring, their quad, or maybe using a donor graft. Um, that doesn't change their rehab much, but it can be, uh, uh, there's some, some subtle differences in their rehab, depending on what kind of graft we choose as well. Um, and then we start talking about uh, what they can expect in the short term and long term uh, for their rehab. And those are the things we can talk about. Got it. So Let's um, let's say that they they're they're not able to go the non-operative route. So, what does the standard ACL reconstructive surgery entail? How long do they? How long does the surgery actually last? And what are like the first twenty-four hours like for the athlete afterwards? So, for most young people, we use a, their own tissue, and the most commonly used tissue is their patellar tendon. Um, that seems to be the that's the gold standard in terms of modern day medicine in terms of ACL reconstruction. Um, what they can expect is um, an incision that we use to harvest the patellar tendon, and that's usually in the front of the knee. Um, it does uh, involve a little bit more dissection than uh, the donor tissue, but again, the reason why you're harvesting the patellar tendon is because it heals in faster and is stronger and is less likely, less likely to re-tear than a donor graft. Um, in terms of the post-operative recovery, um, oh, actually, I'll let you ask some more questions. Go ahead. Oh, so I was, yeah. So I, part of that, that question was how long did the, does the actual, um, graft and surgery part last? 
And then what's kind of that first day after like? So, so the surgery itself takes about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, it takes about 15 minutes or so to harvest and prepare the graft. And, and once we prepare the graft, we use that to replace the ACL. Uh, the first day of surgery, patients go home the day of surgery. They begin weight-bearing. Um, as long as they don't have any major meniscus or cartilage damage that needs to be protected, but they can pretty much begin weight-bearing right away. Um, and they begin moving the knee right away. We want patients to be active, waking up the muscles. Um, after surgery and after injuring someone's knee, the muscles really atrophy. So we want to begin trying to wake up the muscles right away and try to start working on regaining range of motion as soon as possible. The No One Go podcast is presented by Golden State Orthopedics and Spine, formerly Muro Ortho, Webster Orthopedics, and Ortho NorCal. Whether you are a little leaguer, pro athlete, or a world-class grandparent, you can get expert care for sports and other injuries, painful joints, and much more with the compassionate doctors at Golden State Ortho. Visit them online today at goldenstateortho.com. That's goldenstateortho.com. You mentioned it a little earlier here, and we discussed this in the last episode as well. But you can you can attempt different recovery timelines uh, with the athletes, and and each t- timeline has varying risks of re-injury. Um, but let's assume, and I and I think if I'm not wrong, you said like nine months is kind of the standard. You can you can try and go earlier. You can try and go six, or you can go twelve. But you try you try and do it in nine. If it's, let's say an athlete is working on a standard nine month recovery clock, um, I, I kind of broke it down to three stages. What's kind of the first three months like? So the first, the first three months is broken down into three, basically, <laughs> excuse me, because basically the first month, you're just kind of trying to get back to basic range of motion, getting the swelling down, uh, waking up the muscles, getting back to trying to walk without the crutches. So that's the first month. The second month is where you try to normalize your, your, your gait pattern, your what you're woken up the muscles, you're starting to get back to basic day-to-day activities. And then the third phase where you're trying to get to that three-month point is trying to get back to enough function to maybe you can start doing some light jogging and something called an alter G if they have access to that, where once you hit that three-month point, you can start trying to get back to some more uh, um, uh, uh, sporty activity, so to speak. I, I shouldn't even say sporty. I should say trying to get back to where you can you know, use your leg a little bit more normally um, and start thinking about jogging that, that once you hit that three months to four months, that's a second stage, um, is where we start talking about doing the jogging. And so hopefully at about four months, uh, the, the athlete is starting to do jogging, starting to feel comfortable out there, maybe gotten off the alter G and started to do some light jogging on, on, on normal terrain, like on grass or a track. And, uh, um, are, go ahead. If you had, you, were you, go ahead. Keep going. So we talked about, you know, that first three months. Now we're getting into that second phase, which is after that three months. So once you get to about four to six months, that's when we're starting to get more sports specific. You're starting to do a little bit more endurance, a little bit more dynamic exercise. You're working with a therapist who is evaluating your mechanics, your strength, your function, your range of motion. If everything's going according to plan, then you're starting to get past that six month point, then you're starting to maybe see that light at the end of the tunnel where maybe you could make that nine month return to sports. How often during those, during the first three months and the second three months, I mean, are you seeing a physical therapist pretty much every day? 
Um, you're probably once or twice a week uh, in the world where you're seeing a physical therapist for the standard athlete. Um, if someone has a trainer, maybe they can see them in between. Um, and uh, But you're doing your exercises two, three times a day. Let's talk about the kind of the return to sport phase. Like how do you, how you really kind of know when you're ready? Um, so if you, if you're kind of hitting your, your, uh, marks, your, the knees doing well, there haven't been any setbacks. Um, you're evaluating range of motion, strength and function just in a very generic, you know, just to put them in three basic categories. Um, like we talked about, the earliest people are getting back is around six months. Um, those are people are at higher risk and are, are, are very motivated and have very good um, um, uh, physical therapy. And um, most people are probably averaging around nine, nine months to a year. When do you know you're ready? I think there's multiple things that come into play. It's your confidence, the type of sport that you play the physical therapist, their assessment of what they think you're looking like and how, how uh, agile and um, how confident you appear. If you appear to have good mechanics, um, those are all the things that they can play. And also the doctor's confidence in you know, how you look and, and uh, uh, you know, taking into account also the risk of re-injury. That's another thing to take into account. Uh, you just said the word a few minutes ago, but setbacks. What kind of setbacks can occur and, and how common are they? Um, probably about 10 uh, to 20 percent of the time there's a, a, a minor setback. Um, occasionally pa patients will develop scar tissue. That's usually the most common thing we run into that uh, slows down the recovery or maybe requires a second surgery to remove scar tissue. Um, another common setback, when I say common, it's about 10 uh, to 20% of the time, is if they had a meniscus repair. The meniscus is actually the most common thing to give us trouble. If we do a meniscus repair, uh, there is about a 10 to 15% chance that it can re-tear, and that could uh, require second surgery as well. The, the ACL itself actually is more reliably um, uh, healing. Um, and does relatively well. It's the meniscus that actually most commonly gives us trouble. Got it. What do you believe is maybe the biggest misconception uh, uh, when it comes to ACL rehabilitation? That there's a time frame that it's like you hit this window and now you're done and you can get back to going to go, go back to playing your sport. It's a process requires multiple things that are being evaluated. Um, and there isn't a, a day that you wake up that you're ready to go back. It's, and even when you say it's time to go back, you're going back in a very gradual way, kind of feeling, feeling out your knee um, and doing it um, uh, in a, a very measured and methodical way. Lastly, with young athletes, especially teenagers, there's often a sense or belief of invincibility, an attitude that it can't happen to me, and then it, and then it does. And maybe, can you, maybe you speak a little bit about the mental side of orthopedic medicine during the recovery process like this, because nothing sobers an athlete, like not being able to be out there and do what they love. How do you, how do you kind of help get them past that? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of that invincibility, but also that, oh my gosh, now I'm the other perspective of, uh, you know, it's the world just ended because I got <laughs> right. the, the so I think they kind of, they're kind of yin and yang. I, I think you just have to kind of have that positive attitude uh, when, when it seems like all is, you know, doom and gloom, but also understand that, you know, you, you can't just 
if you're kind of in the other perspective where, you know, I, I will never get hurt or I got fixed. Now I'm going to go back and start playing at three months. It's, right. it's all about balancing the, the good and the bad. Um, it's all about balancing, um, you know, invincibility with, you know, I'm never going to be able to play again. Um, I think that probably the most challenging thing is when someone gets hurt and then they see that they're not going to be able to play for a window of time. Mm-hmm. And we just have to just remember that we just have to take a step back so that we can kind of get back to doing the things we want to do. And it may be uh, six months or a year, but eventually they'll have a good opportunity to go back to doing the things they want to do. All right. Well, that um, that pretty much ends the, the list of the questions I had here. I, I, um, it's clear to me that we caught you uh, in the office, literally. So uh, we're going to let you get back to work. We appreciate you taking the time uh, talking about this today. And uh, hopefully we'll see you get another episode. Thanks, Chase. All right. Thanks, Doctor. That brings this episode of No One Go to a close. We want to once again thank Dr. Bader for returning to the show. And a thank you to any of our listeners so far. No One Go is currently available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. If you listen to us on any of those platforms, please rate and subscribe. We build No One Go using Anchor. Visit the show's home at Anchor by visiting anchor.fm slash no, K-N-O-W, go pod. The site will be a primary hub for our listener participation with this show. That's where you can leave us a voice message and suggest a topic or ask a specific question that you'd like an expert to answer. Don't want to jump right to a voice message? You can also email me at editor at sportsstarsmag.com or tweet us at at sportsstarsmag or at sportsstarspods. Please be sure to follow both accounts for all of our latest guest announcements and updates. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there or find links to the various other platforms. That's also where you can find episodes of our other podcasts, Sports Stories, which begins its second season soon, and Seven Friday Night, a football-only show set to begin again in August. Our cover art was designed by myself using a photo taken by James K. Leash, and our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips. He performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. Look them up. Thanks again for listening, and look for our next episode later this month.